0: In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizens' Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr
1: thank you You, thank you i throw myself at the mercy of the court (laughs) this is
0: episode number 44 we're still in season three and the name of this episode if it sticks as the court turns the lord's court (laughs) so today we're going to be talking about pretty much all about the supreme court um Zeroing in a little bit on its current state, and of course, we'll bring to the table some calls to action. I don't think any of them will be new to any of you, but maybe they will. We'll see how it goes. So Ray and I were doing a little bit of research, um, as we usually do. Uh, This time we were doing it kind of live before we kicked off this episode, And I think we were both a little surprised. I know I was surprised by some of the statistics we came across because, you know, we had an inkling about the religious leaning, the nature of the court leaning towards religiosity. And uh, but we were a little surprised about exactly how religious it is (laughs) or how, you know, how it's come to be the way it is or, you know, the state that it's in. So without belaboring the point any further, we're going to go ahead and jump into it. So the first bullet we want to remind everybody we have up here to talk about is just orient us all to the fact that according to the Constitution, this is under the First Amendment in there, uh, we have separation between you know, in layman's terms, we like to say separation between church and the laws of our republic or church and state. And somewhere in there, it really says that we're all free uh, not to be bound to a religion. Uh, And essentially you read into it is that there should be no state sponsored religion. So the idea there is that people should be free to practice religion or not without any state sponsorship of any particular religion. Um, And it's interesting because that also included especially Protestantism, which was the king's religion, right? A lot of the people who were uh, the original founders of this system, our republic, were probably Protestants. I mean, they were probably all across the board, Lutherans, whatever. um, But Protestants because those were mostly English companies that were established to create the settlements. So we have a very, I would say, heavily Protestant past. But it was very interesting to see, to find out that today, so we have nine Supreme Court justices. But what I didn't realize, and I think, Ray, you're in the same boat as me, is that six out of the nine justices are now um, basically have Catholic roots. Uh, So it's shifted because historically it was a majority, I believe, Protestant basis. I mean, if anybody was bringing religion to it, it was a lot of Protestantism. And then now um, six of nine are Catholic, and then the other three are Jewish. So it's interesting because it's not very diverse (laughs) from, you know, like a religious background or belief system perspective, but I'm really surprised about this historical shift away from Protestantism. Um, and, And for anybody who's been around for any period of time, you know, you... People think back to Kennedy, president John F. Kennedy. And he was the first Catholic to ever be elected to the presidency. And and the country had a lot of reservations about it. They were very concerned about him being beholden to the Vatican, to the Pope, right? And we wanted our president to actually uphold the laws of the nation and our constitution more so than trying to, you know, bring the Vatican home to America. (laughs) Oh, funny how things change. And now the court, (laughs) the court has become Catholic. Um, and we have a few Jewish people on there and it's interesting because when you think about it, who historically has been persecuted has now come to rule the court. Um, people are always, you know, there's a lot of concerns out there. Anti-Semitism, um, has always been a concern for the Jewish culture and, and people of that belief system. um, And then, you know, for a long time, Catholics were always ostracized, right? Because Catholicism basically came with Italian and Irish immigrants, and they were not originally white when they arrived. Um, So Catholicism was not American, but now it is. (laughs) Uh, Very interesting. Excuse me. So uh, we'll just take a little another moment here to kind of reframe ourselves with additional historical perspective um, so rather than today, today you hear a lot about this being a Christian nation or a Judeo-Christian nation. And honestly, it's really always had been a Protestant nation, um, pretty much to its origins. And that, like I mentioned earlier, was the Church of England, and it was brought over with the founders. Um, now there's some debates as to the intellectual nature, intellectualism and the intellectual nature of some of these belief systems or faith systems. Um, But because the Protestants, because the Protestant religion was present when the system was established, there was most trust placed in that, that it would not interrupt the programming that was planned for us, so to speak. Does that make sense, Ray?
1: I, I believe so. And I think this journey has been um, good for, for both of us, because I, I happen to preach that there's usually a pendulum, history repeats itself. And I should have known that this nation, I, I, I criticize people that say, oh, things have never been this bad. And I just did it with the, the judgment of the Supreme Court, right? It's never been this religious. It's never been this polarized. But in fact, the court itself and the nation itself comes from these extremely religious roots and we have to understand that the protestants left england because they were too fun and getting too loose in england right so they felt like the english people in general had swayed too far from the teachings of the church and such and so they wanted to free themselves and practice their religion um, free to be as strict and uptight as they wanted and and that is what we're battling. And we, we've come from this really, frankly, the pilgrims, I said earlier, why didn't I think of the pilgrims, right? That fashion was not diverse. And so when you think about that, we're basically fighting that heritage.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And not to put them down, but they were basically shunned by every country they landed in until they got to America. And... If the natives, maybe if, you know, the first peoples that were here had the opportunity to cast them out, they would have. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh about that, but, you know, we all know how the history goes. Goodness. Interesting. So here we are now. Um, we have the Lord's court coming to bear on us. And one little tidbit on that too, which is interesting because we hear a lot about evangelicals, evangelicalism and stuff like that in the United States. It's pretty fervent, but it's interesting that it's not anywhere there that we see at least not in the Supreme court, not in the federal courts for the most part. Um, and this was another piece of that came up in the research. I was not looking for anything about evangelicals. It just comes up because they're so active politically. Um, very active politically but they don't have these court appointments and there was a footnote in here and this is analysis through NPR where they were commenting that Catholicism and Judaism are a little bit more intellectually oriented as far as how the members of those communities are encouraged to spend their time whereas uh, the evangelical um, System is set up for expansion and probably for profit. So they focus their time and energy not getting into the halls of power, but just expanding their uh, flock and thus the revenue of their church. Uh, so then they can donate to people who will pass laws in their states where they have the most concentration of power. Right? They haven't really focused much on the federal level yet, but for the moment, the Catholics and um, and uh, some of our Jewish brethren have, have arrived there. And it's an interesting swing. It's an interesting swing. And, and time will tell, right? We, we can't predict what's going to happen, but we have some pretty clear indicators. So um, we're just going to sound some of the alarms here we need to keep our eyes on these things, right? We shouldn't worry about what has yet to come. But we should be aware of what may come to pass. And it may not be for the benefit of most of us. We may be moving, we may be sliding backwards uh, in time from a civil liberties perspective. The freedoms, the freedoms we've enjoyed perhaps were more expansive in the past than they will be in the future. That's kind of the indicator that we're seeing. So there are a number of civil liberties that are going to be at risk, given the makeup of the current courts. And there are indications that they will change the decisions of wiser courts that have come in the past. Where we enjoy freedoms today, like to marry who we want, or have children and family on our own terms, we may not be able to enjoy those tomorrow. We may not have those freedoms, those choices under the law the way we do today, simply due to judicial interpretation of the Constitution, simply because of the opinion of five people in our country, which is pretty extreme. And it's actually quite flippant when you think about it. Um, and so we have to call into question, logic uh, begs us to call into question, you know, the legitimacy, if we start losing, especially state by state, you always know when it's funny, we've talked about this from drugs and, and other perspectives. It's like, what state are you in the, are, are you the freest right now in the country, right? And it was usually who passed, um, who started removing prohibitions against our freedoms to indulge in. The things we want to indulge in and so like you know there's a handful of states where you can recreationally use certain drugs and you can't in others so you're more free in those states and now we're starting to see people were you know had a, a fair amount of freedom around things like abortion rights and that's going to start getting restricted again is what we can tell is likely to happen and so you're going to have states where some united states citizens are more free than in others, all we're all citizens of the same country, but under certain jurisdictions, you're going to have fewer freedoms, and that would be thanks to this court, the Supreme Court, which really logically just doesn't—it just doesn't sit well. Not with me. I mean, I'm assuming the same for you, Ray.
1: I, I wish that. You know, there was a. I'm a historian at the heart, you know, so history teaches us a lot. There's precedence there. And I believe a court that, that believes in its own precedence and integrity instead of a court that seems interested in turning the tide of history. And it's not just in what rulings we may see coming out, we are seeing opinions where, where normally they're, they're largely silent from their offices they're hinting and creating waves in the legal environment which is generating cases and opportunities to challenge existing precedents i i've never seen anything like this but again again you know my limited time here on this planet but I, it's strange to me i've never seen the court act seemingly in its worst interest hinting dropping rumors in the trades, if you will. It just doesn't seem normal. So that's why it's, it's, it's scary to me. And I, I do agree that there is an extra um, layer of intrigue that's affecting our court system. And what could it be besides the majority that's happening right now? There's only one common thread there.
0: There's a minority of people who are dying to retain power and control over many of us. And it's not their place. It's, it's their place to have control and agency over themselves as individuals, but then to be affecting our liberties in such large swaths is inappropriate, wholly inappropriate. It's, it's self-serving of something other than U.S. citizens under the Constitution. That's really what it feels like. And, and time will tell, right? Once, once the decisions start coming out, we haven't had decisions really come down yet, but we'll definitely see their hands. We'll see how the card game ends uh, for the next round. And we'll have to read that. We'll have to read into that and say, okay, um, how far, how willing is this court to throw away its legitimacy or test the boundaries of its legitimacy? Will be very interesting to see. With that, time for a break. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Good. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under the laws? Citizen Good values the promise of all of the amendments to the Constitution, including some that have yet to get adopted. Taken together, they form a framework and an operating manual for the Republic, and it provides us the means to change with the times. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with 5 stars on iTunes through the app on the web or on your device. If you don't feel like you can give us 5 stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, CitizenDogood. Also make sure you join our newsletter at CitizenDogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has specialty merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution that helps us pay for production and hosting. Feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support.
1: You know, when we when you were speaking before, you covered on a couple things, which was, uh, you know, you said liberty, which you you brought it up. I was waiting for the L word to come up, uh, and you also mentioned that it's not actually abortion's not in the Constitution, right? It's it's not actually written into the Constitution um, clearly, uh, but I I, I also believe that you you could argue that in, in all kinds of fashions how we have we've, how we've in, in, interpreted the constitution over time it is purposely it's it's purposefully vague and and the idea that you build a more perfect union in order to build a more perfect union the constitution did not have a finality in it and that's why i'm surprised when we talk about these originalists right because that's what these that's what the <laughs> that's what the judges that that use uh, um, this ideal of being originalists of the Constitution. Well, it doesn't say it, so there's no protection. Well, that that, that seems highly convenient uh, to their specific argument. Uh, when it comes down to it, what I'm really worried about is liberty. Like you said, Michael, that it, my greatest fear is that this is a grab against liberty. This emboldens people who feel like they have a right to tell me how to live my life, who to love, where I can go how I choose to address and have people address me. All of this, all of these things that equate to my personal happiness, my existence, which has nothing to do with another individual. As long as I don't harm them, it seems very simple to me, but there is this, it appears to be a sect of people that cannot sleep at night unless they have direct control of what everyone else is doing with their private parts.
0: It's such a peculiar system, too, because when you think about it, how little is explicitly in the Constitution? So we get, um, we were, we basically segregation is no longer a thing primarily because of the Commerce Clause. Um, There is no, (laughs) nothing in the Constitution that says segregation is, you know, illegal. It's, and then in this whole case of abortion, it comes down to the right to privacy, So yeah, abortion is not in there. Um, The fact that a woman has rights, uh, inalienable rights equal to a man, is also not in there. (laughs) You know, There's a lot of stuff that's not in there. And so these originalists, when they read only the words that were written, it almost throws away all precedents in the past, which is not how the court is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be fundamentalist. It's supposed to evolve. And you know what? We have the power to take away this interpretive you know, this interpretive power, essentially, they have to say, oh, right to privacy. Yeah, no longer does that extend to a woman being able to get an abortion in private and and not the state has no interest in needing to know that. And your neighbors don't need to know that you're having an abortion that's between you and your doctor, or that you have cancer, right, or whatever. I mean, obviously, Cancer and children are completely separate things, but but the idea that it, it, it all stems from this right to privacy, it's interpreted, and the right to privacy is interpreted and extrapolated out. Well, let's get past that. Let's stop r- r- giving the courts the opportunities to interpret our liberties in and out of our lives, and let's amend the Constitution. So now we're moving into calls to action. <laughs> Because really, if we want to get rid of this pendulum and the ability for originalists versus contextualists or whatever the heck they call themselves to justify coming up with cockamamie decisions that aren't based in real logic and not based in enlightenment principles upon which the whole system was founded, um, we will have no way to fight this. But we do. You know, the court literally has no teeth, it only has teeth where we didn't take them away. And so when we pass, for instance, okay, there's a couple of amendments that are halfway through Congress, right? I mean, I think, I'm pretty sure two of these have passed, I think both of these have passed the House of Representatives, but um, who knows if we'll ever get through the Senate. So we can remove the ambiguity in the Constitution and explicitly secure women's freedoms with the Equal Rights Amendment (ERA). It's been around since the idea of it's been around probably since the beginning of time, but it's only been floating the halls of Congress since like the 70s. But it's still around, um, and it's something we need to do if we amend the Constitution and give women equal rights to privacy and everything else. Then a lot of these areas, the court is inserting itself or is being insert on our behalf. Um, should be taken away. It'll go away. And then beyond that, there's also the Equality Act. Um, so if we were able to pass the Equality Act and the Equal Rights Amendment, then who you know who I identify as, who I am, who I love, and what I do with my body is no longer, it's, it's explicitly. You can be an originalist as long as it's written in there. Leave me alone. <laughs> but we can't do it if we don't amend the Constitution. Otherwise, these justices, this five out of the nine, it's five people get to decide our liberties at their will. The other thing we're going to ask people to do, so be aware, you know, Equal Rights Amendment, we want that supported in Equality Act. You also need to keep an eye out for congressional candidates that are open to establish term limits on the Supreme Court. So one of the things that we have at the Supreme Court today is that they're appointed for life. And when the system was established, average life expectancy was 38 years, (laughs) 38 years. And now we're closer to 80 years. It's huge. And the idea was, yeah, we want one of the three branches of government to be more stable than the others, right? So that's why you look at, we don't necess- we don't have term limits except for the presidency, thanks to a wise president in the past. We don't have term limits necessarily on Congress. Right now, the presidency is the only thing with term limits, which is good because we don't want a king. We don't want kings. But eh, Congress could use some term limits. <laughs> I think that's a perennial debate, but especially the Supreme Court when you think we've gone from 38 years to 80 years for average life expectancy. And these the last three were appointed and they're, you know, they're less than 50 years old or whatever. Um, so they've got a long way to go. So what would be really helpful too, is to try and put in some term limits for these folks um, so we can get a little bit more turnover and hopefully people are current with the times. Now, it doesn't always work out to our favor. Um, But it is one option that we could have in place that would help give us an opportunity to make sure that the pendulum can swing maybe a little bit more quickly than it does today. So I don't know how many proposals are out there for establishing term limits on the court, but it feels like 20 years. Ray and I were just debating it internally and we're like, yeah, 20 years. I started with 12 and then did feel a little too short because you think about two years for the house, six years for a Senate seat, four years for the presidency, you know, you want some multiple of those things. So I thought, Hey, why not twice as long as the Senate, but senators can get reelected as many times as they want. So, um, I think 20 years feels right. I I haven't seen anything. So I'm just throwing that out there. I don't have, we are
1: putting that out. That is not citizen do goods official position, but we're putting it out there. And we say, pick it up, somebody take it, because twenty years seems right. Ruth Bader was in there for a pretty long haul, wasn't she? Yeah, <laughs> she's she's the longest, one of the long. So thirty. I, I'm just saying that. I think when we when we look at limits, term limits, we were right with the president's role. They took care of that. We took care of King, make uh, the King issue. But when it comes to the the court. We just have to understand that nobody expected someone to be on the bench for 20 to 30 years, and that wasn't the original expectation. Okay, It also wasn't the original expectation uh, with gun ownership because people were using muskets back then which had much different load times than automatic rifles. We're just saying that there are different interpretations as, as we continue to evolve as a society and the internet didn't exist. Does that mean we should ban it? Cause there's nothing allowing us the access to information. It's just, it just drives me crazy, but um, you know, I'll just jump into another piece. I think what fixes all of this, Michael is, is the shadow docket, which is a real big problem, which hides um, it basically is what the court has been operating under more and more with the most recent decisions, right? It's like you go to bed and you wake up and the court made a decision and no one's really sure it it happened in the middle of the night and everyone's trying to interpret it over breakfast. It's, It's these decisions that are coming that have allowed Texas to still operate with no clear decision. Oh, but we're looking at it. So If we had basically a C-SPAN for the courts, for the federal courts in general, there is no broadcasting or public available record of what's going on in the federal court system. And I think that's a problem. Transparency is key. Uh, Then everyone can keep their million year term limits as long as we can see exactly how inept they are, but then we need the right to recall. We didn't put that in the, the list but I'm adding it, of course, the right to recall, along with being able to see what's going on in these federal courts. Mm. It's either one, life appointments and recall, or or, or the other, right? Limits. I, I think it has to be one or the other. Can we agree on that?
0: Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't leave us much opportunity, because technically we have recall, but it's not citizen-driven initiative. It is, um, it's impeachment,
1: we're always talking about the citizen here on citizens prerogative
0: (laughs) yeah so technically i don't know if everybody's aware of this but um congress just like it can impeach and remove a president it can impeach and remove a judge and although it's only happened one time for the supreme court in our entire history and i think it, it was a judge who was impeached i don't think they were removed um and I can't recall who it was, but otherwise, it was lower um, federal federal benches below the Supreme Court. Over the years, several judges have been impeached and removed by Congress um, for poor conduct, essentially. Um, but we all know what kind of a political show impeachment is, and it isn't all that much different. It wouldn't be all that much different, I suspect. And you know how effective is that. For for the sake of oversight. Um, I don't know, as long as political parties are appointing justices and stuff like that, it just doesn't feel like it's going to work well, right? Cuz it's the parties now are driving who does or doesn't get impeached, etc. It's not for the best of the republic. So it would be nice to have something more like a recall. I agree. Um, last call out here is just to be aware of your state supreme court justices. So, you know, the bench, the federal bench has multiple tiers to it and um, it pretty much begins at your state supreme court level, and you know you should understand who that judge is and how did they get there, and if they're going to be retiring anytime soon. You have a vested interest in understanding who's going to replace them or who possibly may replace them, and whether you elect that person or you elect the person that replaces them. You need to understand that, depending on how your state is, how your state constitution is written. Um, it's very important to know who's in these places because they don't even have to pass laws. They just pass an opinion based on a law. (laughs) And absent of an appeal, it sticks. And it doesn't make it right. It's just a decision. And that's the system we have. It's an adversarial court system designed to come to a conclusion. Justice is blind. Justice is not really a factor that's another story for another day. I think that's going to do us. We have been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr.
1: And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. It truly has been a judicial school of thought.
0: It's been something, that's for sure. For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up the contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community special thanks to you our listeners we save the best for last you are the best and you have been for years thank you for your support we know it's painful and we love you intro music sample from okay class by ozzy jock under creative commons license through freemusicarchive.org other music provided royalty free through Fizzle and studios
1: inc